You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. All right. Welcome to Refrigerator Diaries. Hashtag what's your RD? And this week we are looking into a uh, not recent success story in Detroit, right? You're, you're, uh, Detroit Mobile is surpassed the success of Detroit, Metro Detroit, and, and beyond here. Mike Ransom, thank you for coming in with this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do a golf clap. I hope you guys hear it, man. So, you know, just recently I had the pleasure of reading an Eater article here with you. Before we dive in, we've got Ellen on the uh, ones and twos and Chris Connections here co-hosting with us. What up, though? So, when did you when did you get that Eater interview? Uh, that was about three weeks ago. Okay, well, that's, that's fast. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good turnaround, huh? Yeah. yeah, they told me it might be a couple months, and they flipped it pretty quick. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so. We've uh, we've already done a discovery um, conversation with you. For those of you that want to take a listen uh, on our next uh, posting, we'll post our Mike Ransom episode. I uh, was back in season two. Uh, would love for you guys to take a listen. What we're going to focus on is the great beyond. <laughs> so last we talked, one of the things that you said that stuck was making food or efficiently transacting as many times as possible. Uh, I'll never forget. We were talking about how, and this was when you were in Corktown, you had the, we've talked many times before, but specifically in this time, you had the interior dining room. You just had set up the patio and you were telling me about the amount of seats that you had Mm -hmm. and how many times you had to cycle through a turn time and then what that average turn time was. A lot of, mm, a lot of people don't like that. Yeah. A lot of people mm. don't talk about turn times. And for those of you listening, uh, what, you want to give us an explanation? Well, I mean, it all depends on the business and the space that you're working within. Depends on your check average. It depends on the type of food and experience you want to have. So every restaurant's going to be different for us. In our original location, we only had originally 30 seats. So in order for us to pay our bills, we had to have people eating out of those seats throughout the day. We couldn't have empty seats because it was just enough space for us to pay our rent and all our bills if we filled them all. Um, After we opened the patio, that added another 35 seats, and that allowed us to have enough revenue if we filled them all to pay our bills to pay all the payroll to pay for all of our loans and then if we were able to keep them filled as much as possible then that would allow us to put money in the bank and so that just it just depends on the space and you know for us we have a low check average of like 15 to 18 dollar check average so that being said we need to keep those seats filled for the duration of us being there in order to maximize our, you know, the rent that we have to pay and all the labor, you know, for restaurants that might have like a $60 check average, then they obviously can have longer ticket times Mm -hmm. and they can spend more time with the guest and, you know, 
with different courses, you know, they might have the traditional salad and soup, and then they might maybe have a couple appetizers and then entree and, right. and then dessert. But that's not how people dine at our restaurant. So, yeah. you know, I think you're, you're, you're feeding the modern age of dining too, you know? Yeah. We're, like, what, what's the last, what's the most you, you spend when you go out these days? Like when you're eating recreationally? Usually 25, 30 bucks. I'm a, I'm a be your date one night. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that. I'd love that. <laughs> Hit all the spots. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, what about you, Chris? Mm, probably about like 50 if I'm with somebody. Yeah. So I guess about 25, 30 for okay. myself. Yeah. Man, I'm, I'm on the cheap end. Ellen, what are you, what are you spending when you're going out here? Uh, out here in the city? Um, spend? Yeah. Well, I mean, what what do I spend or what is my well, I hate to say it, my boyfriend who makes a little bit more money than I do cuz he can splurge. He can splurge on <laughs> the I got to cap it off at like $30. Okay, 30 uh, bucks that's that's, uh, that's I the mean, same as <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a meal. You know, drink for two, for yeah, two. For two. Oh, okay. for two. And drinks, too. Drinks are where they okay, get. Okay, so that's like, so yeah. you're, and you're, tip. you're eating right at him on that. Yeah. yeah. Plus you got to do the tip. Yeah. Okay. So, what did you what you say th- to get those seats filled? Because it's pretty s- consistently filled now. What did you have to do? Oh, I mean, in Corktown, that's where everything, all that thought process started, and we had more demand than we could seat, and we had people waiting mostly on the weekends and during dinner. We had to wait, and we didn't have room to have them wait, so. I was constantly trying to figure out how we could keep the dining process moving through everybody's evening so we could minimize the amount of time people were standing outside for seats Uh or crowded into a little room waiting for seats. So there, I think through our, through the buzz that we got from our food, we, we generated the, the need for more space. So we already had a good problem of having too many people for the space that we had. And that's when, we decided that we needed to do something in in Oakland County because on the weekends I would talk to all of our guests and I would say 30% of them were all coming from Oakland County. Mm. And they were all like, they would tell me, you know, you got to open something in Oakland County because we come all the way down here to eat, but we can't come during the week because we have, you know, work and school or family stuff. Mm. So we can only come on a weekend. And then, so what happened is we had a bottleneck. Everybody's coming during the weekend and it was just, you know, there's just a line outside and, you know, in the wintertime, people were getting uncomfortable. So that's when through my travels in Oakland County, doing all my shopping runs that I saw the location that we're in now. Shout out to the market. Yeah. One, six, eight market you for know, sure. Yeah. Everybody, everybody knows that yeah. spot. <laughs> um, so when I saw that vacancy and the opportunity there, it kind of, it was my answer to taking some of the load off our court town location and allowing people in Oakland County to have something more convenient for them. So, so when you, when you opened that location, did you find that there was a, a new group of people that were getting exposed to what you were doing? Or did you find that you were just seeing, you know, people who were traveling to you now, not traveling as far? No, I'd say it was, I'd say 80% new people, maybe 80, maybe, maybe 90% new people because 
most of the familiar faces that we saw were people from actually from Detroit who were shopping out oh, yeah. <laughs> in Madison Heights who okay. were like, oh, you know what? I had to go to Target. So, um, you know, I just wanted to stop through, you know. Hmm. And then. I went for that. Yeah. Yeah. I had to see what if it was the same in both locations. <laughs> Hopefully they. Uh, oh, yeah. Had, no, yeah. man. It's like every research. time. Every time. All right. Yeah, right. <laughs> man, we'll yeah. Report back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every um, time. Good stuff. Let me know if it's not. So. Um, no, they do great work out there. And, um, yeah, what I realized is that people are just city and neighborhood pockets. People want to have something close by. So what we gained from Madison Heights was reaching people that normally – just wouldn't drive downtown to go get food, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, our check average is 15 bucks. You know, that might be a 15 minute drive, gas, parking. I think the way a lot of people think is, you know, I'm not going to drive down. I'm not going to commute to spend money on a $15 bowl of noodles, you know? Do you find that different when you like had, like when you switched to the new location or when you had the new location, did the check average switch or? No, actually, our check average in Madison Heights is always about three dollars lower than Corktown. Okay, people don't drink as much out there. Mm, yeah, really. Yeah, we have we have the same beer, wine, and cocktail program that we do down here, pretty much. And um, I'd say it's thirty to forty percent less alcoholic beverages drank. We sell a lot more soft drinks and non-alcoholic beverages. Okay, um, for any one reason I'm not sure, but I think it's just um, we have a more youthful and um, maybe single, mm-hmm. no kids kind of in kind of clientele here. Okay, you know, students or or playground. young young yeah. professionals. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know? mm-hmm. no, serious, serious. So, um. Interesting story. Uh, you know, Young Village, we started off doing pop-ups and then, um, from there we were doing the, uh, the food truck. And, um, we were fortunate enough to, to have the privilege to do Dally in the Alley. And the first year for Dally in the Alley, first time doing it, we rented out a grill. I had like, we rented a truck. We had like, um, so much staff on hand and I'll never forget like this is an important lesson to me from the second time over the first year we did about 900 or so tickets and um we made somewhere around like 10 maybe 12 grand and um I remember the second year um after like improving upon our systems and like getting a lot of uh, proper SOPs in place um, and also, uh, we had a lower, tr- uh, average transaction price. Uh, it was somewhere around $10 year one, whereas year two, we sold somewhere around 600, um, covers and, uh, with an average transaction of somewhere around 15 or 16 bucks, we were able to make a, a whole like five or six grand more with less people without mm-hmm. renting out on like this thing. So those, those systems matter and you're, you're already a number three with your locations uh you know i I know you probably have had many folks in yours about uh additional locations Mm -hmm. what what goes into that um well you know every i like to people call it organically thinking or, or organic growth and that's definitely how i allow these things to happen when i opened number one i had no idea that we were going to even have number two anytime Mm -hmm. soon I would have been surprised if you told me I would have had something in the next two or three years. 
But what the way that evolved is we had such a demand and we were able to have such a, such a great um, constant flow of business that allowed us to get all our systems together and to have our staff really get locked in. And because our business was consistent, we were able to have management come in and help kind of run the whole the whole operation, which gave me the opportunity to be able to step away from the business and look at the big picture, you know, and look at look at the the point at which our staff or our um, our customer base are demanding more, or where we could you know um, satisfy customers' demands, and that's when I was able to look at the fact that we're, we're already putting too much pressure on that location. You know, we can't grow that business anymore. And, you know, that's something that happened and we realized it as we were going. And I was able to talk through my, through it with my managers and realize that we were ready to kind of look at something. Um, so then we opened Madison Heights. That property um, took some of the load off. It allowed us to have a little bit more um, management support because we were able to have managers be part of two operations if we needed them to. And that extra revenue gave us more freedom because we were able to get buying, get a little better pricing from our vendors, you know, and we were able to um, just grow the systems even more. Anytime you have to start another operation, you get better at your systems, you know, mm-hmm. because you have to reevaluate how things were the first time and how you can improve upon them and, and what you do differently. And then, um, you know, honestly, after we finished the Madison Heights location, I was pretty much going to take a couple of years off and, and just kind of focus on where we were going to go in the future. And then the Mad- the Wayne State Midtown location was offered to me. Mm-hmm. And that was before, you know, that was, you know, uh, spring or, or fall of last year. And at first I was like, I'm not ready for it. And then I started thinking about it and I started thinking about how Wayne State is just really blowing me away as to how it, its enrollment has increased and how it feels actually like a campus now. It does feel like a campus. You know, you know Wayne State alumni say, what's up? Yeah, right. And, and you know, I just think that's such an important part of the growth of the city that the more I looked at it and the more I saw that space and the fact that it was already pretty much a restaurant that was, you know, that had been roughly built and the fact that it was in a good location and that it was, close to our other location of Corktown, meaning it would give us a little support. It And then I met with my our director of operations, Rob Stone, and he and I got together and I said, hey, this is too good to, to turn up, you know, should we, or to pass up, you know, what do you think? And we talked through it and talked through it, and sure enough, you know, he was like, I think we should do it. He said, he's like, I'm ready for it. And we had our chef, Brian Lukacs, who's our chef in, Ma- in um, Madison Heights, he was ready and up for a new project. And, you know, when I had both of them on board, it just made sense that we would push ourselves to do that next project. And it, like I said, it was a little sooner than we were ready for at first, but, um, but we kind of made it happen. You know, um, the funding was, was tough. We got turned down from a bunch of banks and they wanted me to put my house as collateral and I wasn't up for that. So, okay. We, you know, we really scraped cash together to make it happen. It put us pretty close to the, you know, pretty close to the comfort zone where I wouldn't have been, been able to put any more resources into the project, but we were able to squeak by right in, in time for the holidays and to get open. So, mm-hmm. and that's that organic growth is, 
kind of, you know, that property too, that wasn't something that we planned on and not, I never thought I was going to be in Midtown, you know, mm-hmm. but the opportunity was there and it was like, it made sense. You know, Sue Mosey called me about it and she, she pretty much was like, what do you think? You know, and if, you know, everybody knows Sue Mosey, she, yeah. she runs Midtown pretty Shout much. Out Sue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and she, she offered her help and, you know, asked if there was anything I needed and said that, you know, to reach out to her for any kind of anything that would streamline us making the, the project come together. So, um, you know, it's, it was really a culmination of a lot of factors that were in our favor that made it work out, you know? That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So, um, but we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to ask you about, um, a few other things, uh, when we return on refrigerated diaries. All right. Welcome back. And man, we're getting into the details here. We got Mike Ransom from Ema, one of my favorite places to eat of all time. If you have not had these yaki udon noodles, I'm telling you, you're missing out. And if you go to the Wayne State location, they have two alternative versions of it it blew my mind there was like what <laughs> you got y'all confused like, oh, no. <laughs> I, had to say, I might have to order all three of these so <laughs> <laughs> i have to do both <laughs> you know? so maybe thinking about the restaurant uh, yeah. <laughs> just try both <laughs> good okay uh i was wondering so when you did your expansion, did you kind of like work at like a commissary where they're at your original location? You kind of shipped the food out mm. and um, supplied your other locations? Or did you kind of just do a whole new kind of startup there and did the, all the cooking there and mm-hmm. didn't do any of that type of? You know, it's funny that you ask that because every time we've had a new location, we thought, yeah, it's a bigger space. We can now do something we can now use it as a commissary for the Corktown location because yeah, yeah. they don't have space. And we went to went to Madison Heights, and we very quickly ran out of space. And we're like, mm. huh, I guess we're not going to be able to support the Corktown <laughs> anymore. Came to Midtown. Same thing. Ran out of space. Like, uh-huh. uh, I guess we're going to not have a commissary here either. So uh, it's just weird. Like, you always grow into the space that you have, you know, and you always you always need more space. But – we we wanted to, but we just ended up having each one prep its own product. We were able to use all the recipes, obviously, which is which made it yeah. a lot more streamlined because it took us first year and a half, two years to refine all of our recipes in Corktown. And when we went to uh, Madison Heights, that allowed it to be more way more streamlined. You know, we could just plug and play kind of. So how did you how did you feel like you like saw the consistency issue where you like people just maintain the same standard mm-hmm. as yeah. your first location or to mm-hmm. the next location. You borged, yeah. it, borged them up? Well, yeah, when that's, I mean, that, our, our recipes are standardized. We we weigh everything by the gram. We don't do cup and cup measurings. We do grams and ounces. You know, we weigh everything pretty much, so it, it's very precise. But we also, when we opened Madison Heights, we brought, a prep person from Corktown to have them train everybody there. Uh, and, sure. you know, same with uh, Midtown. We had people co- come from there 
who had already worked with all the product and worked with the recipes. But really, a lot of it is just tasting, you know, and every time you go in, you're tasting things that people are making and getting everybody in the habit of always tasting what they're making, you know, because you can you could have a recipe all day long, but certain ingredients can change, right? you know, mm. and you may never know it. You could it could change even manufacturing changes of product. Mm-hmm. The same product you could buy for years, and then they could not have availability of something that's a key po- component. Mm-hmm. They could change it; they're not going to tell you. Yep. So you know, if you're not tasting, then you'll never you'll never catch these. Don't things, just you know? wait for the label change. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Ingredients. Yeah. So you know, it's it's having your staff, you know, and these good habits is definitely the key. Okay. Yeah. I thought you just had them all. Get a chip upload, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Download that next Get that next one. So um this is Refrigerator Diaries, hashtag behind the food, what's in your ID. Um what what do we we're gonna have a picture of your refrigerator. Uh stay tuned to the newsletter. <laughs> what what would we find in your, your fridge? Wow. Right now you're gonna find a lot of vegetables because I've been like feeling like I'm not eating enough vegetables. So yeah. I go, I went to 168 and I bought like Gylon greens. I bought mustard greens. I bought um, pea shoots. I bought a bunch of just green vegetables. <laughs> and, like, yeah, we to, I don't even know. Like I didn't buy them with anything in mind. I'll just steam them and just have like a big bowl of steamed vegetables, you know. And that's, that's good. You know, and then whatever else with it, maybe a piece of fish with it. And right. Maybe a cook a potato with it, you know. Like, so you like know. Do, you, do you like – Eat like ramen style all the time, or do you, you like eating a burger at home? I don't. I don't cook burgers at home. I'll go to like Nemo's. You know, Nemo's <laughs> over there, the little it? Irish pub on Michigan Avenue. I'll get a burger mm-hmm. from them. It's like nice griddled burger. You know, <laughs> um, but at home, I don't really. I'll cook Asian food, but it's mostly not noodles. It's mostly like do like some stews or something, or like. Like some rice dish or something, but yeah. for the most part, I eat really kind of simple at home. I guess mm-hmm. you know, like I'll do. I don't like compose dishes at home. You know, it's like I eat what I feel like my body needs. You know, like mm-hmm. like I feel like I need some vegetables. I'll just you know cook some veggies, and then I've been eating a lot of sweet potatoes lately. Like mm-hmm. I'll just I'll just sometimes just roast off like five or six sweet potatoes and just have them in the fridge. And then whenever I'm ready to eat, just slice one up, pan fry it to, you know, crisp them up a little bit and mm. have that with a piece of fish or, you know, like kind of, I don't know, not really, not really <laughs> exciting. <laughs> hey, no, that, that move yeah. there was like, that's pretty advanced. A lot of people like yeah. pre-cook their food at yeah. home. Well, you know, I, <laughs> I realize if I want to eat at home, eat well at home, yeah, I have to have stuff easy to get to, you know, like. It's, I, it's I don't gonna have to be like the restaurant. Yeah, you don't get home mm-hmm. till late. Yeah, it's like thirty minutes or less. Yep, and if I don't, if I have to wait for it, if I have to like make it a whole process, then I'm gonna end up eating pizza or something. Which not a not a Basically. bad thing, not a bad thing, but like you know, I I eat out you know throughout the week, and I like to control my diet at home a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, facts. Yeah, definitely. So. Tell tell us about it. no holds barred, no name dropping. You know, uh, most excellent food experience, most awkward food experience. Oh man, most awkward. I'm gonna I'm gonna travel back to the first time I traveled 
out of the U.S. Mm. And I was at, I went to a, a visit a friend who was going to school in Paris at Cordon Bleu. She was going to culinary school there, and I was like, oh, I could, maybe I'll get, I'll go to culinary school there. And I scraped together the money. This I was 21 years old. I had never flown, never been out overseas. And she had a free place for me to stay, so she talked me into coming to visit. And lo and behold, I didn't know that culinary school in France cost way more than I would ever be able to afford. So that was out of the question after I saw that part of it. Mm. But I ended up running out of money while I was there, too. I didn't realize how expensive it was to travel overseas. Yeah. Ran out of money. That's that's just only part of the story. <laughs> Spent the rest of my money on records, which I sh- shouldn't have done, obviously. Classics, but, though. We we had a we had one meal that she wanted to take me out to with some of her classmates, and it was at yeah. this French restaurant. It was a fancy restaurant. I didn't I didn't have anything to wear for it, so I had to go out and buy a buy some pants to wear uh-huh. to this in a shirt. Spent more money that I didn't have, All right? And went to this restaurant. We're looking at our menus, and my menu is made out of this like thick plastic stuff. This like. I didn't know it was plastic, but I leaned it over the the candle on accident and lit it on fire. That's great. And all of a sudden, my menu's burning out, like, <laughs> burning in my hands. And I go to put it out with my hands, but I didn't know it was plastic. So like this hot plastic's like oh, sticking to my fingers, man. and I'm like, no. I'm like trying to be cool, you know? I'm like, ah! <laughs> and so here I am, like menu's burnt. I got like blisters on my fingertips, and I'm just like, all right, here we go. Yeah. So. Oh. Yeah, it was it was kind of hard to like really focus my my chi uh, for the rest of the meal, but that was definitely my my most awkward dining experience. But was the meal good though? Was it a good meal? Uh, the was meal the, trip up? the meal was good, but all I can remember is the the prelude to the meal. You know, like I I honestly probably don't even remember <laughs> what I ate. You know, what because it was because it was it was not a good intro into the meal. You know, yeah. I mean, it would be funny though. But if it wasn't for the blisters, it's like. <laughs> I oh, would have been good. Like if it just caught on oh. fire, we had a great dinner that's with a laugh. Oh yeah, you can't write. You can't write better than that. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's not like fight or flight. Like you're you're trying to like survive. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> like, oh. and I didn't really know French either, so that yeah. was uh, yeah. I was yeah. Like what? Man, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. that sounds great. <laughs> uh, what about uh, most excellent food experience? Most excellent man. You know. I had a friend, actually, my my director of operations um, had a bachelor party up in Northern California. Mm. And we are big oyster fans. And we'd always talked about just having oysters, like, right out of the water and just shucking them. So he had, like, about 12 of us met in San Francisco, went up the coast like an hour, and we went to this oyster farm, got, like, couple hundred oysters and a bunch of wine and we sat on the coast where they where these oysters come from and we just sat on some logs on the beach and had a fire and just cooked some food over the fire and opened oysters and drank wine right on the bay that's and, fantastic you know what i mean and it's like it doesn't get any better than that because just the simplicity of it was just like you know and like yeah. the, the company makes it as of course as well but that's something that that i always like like to remind myself that it Salt doesn't have to be complicated, right you know, yeah. like good experiences don't have to be like expensive. They don't have to be 
complicated. They don't have to be, they don't have to include, you know, the, all the confines of a, of a fine dining experience that people think about, you know? Yeah. So definitely. Uh, That's fantastic. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. So, you know, um, we've only got a little bit more time left, so we'll we'll kind of jump right into some of the, uh, the goings ons here. Uh, so, at Yum Village, we have been going through a battle of back and forth between disposable flatware mm-hmm. and non-disposable flatware. Now, where the disposable flatware is good for the environment, uh, the non-disposable flatware awful for the environment, but aesthetically pleasing. People mm-hmm. are just so used to it. And I was just, I recommend you all, um, support National Geographic, support like uh, these, um, real news institutions. Uh, the most recent article in National Geographic, uh, specifically details out the journey of plastic and how something that's only been around for a little under 60 years is pretty much one of the main contributors to the detriment of the planet. Um, the disposable fork only uh, in the 1940s uh, after the Second World War and the um, <clears throat> uh, disposable bottle um, shortly after that, which saw its rise uh, with the addition of um, things like drink holders, beverage holders, cup holders, and, and whatnot. Um, Toronto uh, has just recently launched a... Um, deposit program for reusable flatware um, as a pilot uh, citywide. So uh, patrons, uh, citizens of the city of Toronto would pay $5 deposit to then acquire their disposable flatware set, which is a um, fork, knife, spoon, and um, a Tupperware container that uh, all of the participating restaurants in this program would then use and agree to use um thinks i want to do something like that here but i just was curious on your take of this uh Hmm. i mean yeah that's for us it's even more difficult than probably for you because we have broth Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah so we we've tried like they make like a compostable ramen bowls and stuff but they just don't hold up you know so we use plastic to go containers for our broth and for our noodles. But what I like to stress with those is I use them at home. Like, mm. they're Tupperware at home. Yeah, they're reusable, yeah. Yeah, because we do our, our 16-ounce pint container for mm-hmm. our broth. It's got a lid on it, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I use those at home to store food in my fridge, you know, and I'll, I'll use them for years. Yeah. Same with the, mm-hmm. our bowls for our noodles. They come with a really nice plastic tight-fitting lid. You know, that's my Tupperware at home. So mm. if, if you're smart about things that way at as a consumer, then you can, if you don't like to see the waste, then you can definitely maximize those things yourself, you know, without having to have like a, um, a recycling or like a, a return policy. But I think the, the silverware thing is cool. I think that's a good concept. Um, you know, the, I, I think the biggest thing is, will it, will it work? Is it going to be more hassle than it's worth? You know, I mean, I think if enough people get on board, then it, it could be really cool. Um, but I think, you know, one of the problems they say about, they talk about with recycling is it, it takes more energy to recycle the products than it does to, 
to manufacture them. So the carbon footprint mm-hmm. of recycling is higher than the benefit. I was just going to say that, too. So that's one of the biggest dilemmas. That's a big dilemma. You know, and like the thing in Toronto, they might realize, too, that what is the what's the cost of them having to sanitize, collect and reorganize and repackage and, you know, keep cycling these containers to all the restaurants after mm-hmm. they clean them, you know, because somebody's going to have to redistribute them to other restaurants, you know, and, you know, and at the cost of $5 a person, it's not a lot of cash coming in from that. So <laughs> mm-hmm. how are you going to pay for people to do that? You know, who's yeah. gonna, who's going to be the person that does that? Because there's really not much going into that, you know, right. I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but you know, those are the things that could limit it, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. That's that's what you would call uh, another process you just did there is the the process of uh, the economics of a unit, mm-hmm. and a lot of times as uh, business owners, especially small business owners, we don't take the time to break down um, the uh, revenue split or uh, expense split, uh, net split of the dollar bill that we make. You mm-hmm. know, so like if you make a dollar, how much of that dollar is going to gas how much of it is going to rent food mm-hmm. payroll uh etc throughout um mm-hmm. and even with us being a restaurant you know um and the sign of the times uh it's very hard to just be a restaurant you know like you mm-hmm. restaurants are selling t-shirts or meal plans or you know we're selling spices and soap you know mm-hmm. <laughs> just to uh, keep our average transaction price up. Uh, you can't really be a restaurant anymore. Uh, but you are right. It's important to use life economics of a unit and, and really take into account what that true cost is mm-hmm. as an operator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot, I mean, a lot of it for us is it is the, uh, the, the products that are available, are they viable? You know, if it doesn't work, then it's not viable. You know, if it, if our customer is going to, pick up a bowl of soup and the container is going to fold up on them and they're going to burn themselves, then that's obviously not going to be a viable product for us, you know? So, yeah. I did have a quick question though. I wanted to know. So do you Mm -hmm. use like a lot of verticals like Grubhub, DoorDash, and they have a lot of other things out there that people go to Mm -hmm. and they like go to different office buildings and set up there. Mm -hmm. Do you do a lot of stuff with that? No, you know what? We don't, we don't do any of them. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we DoorDash and them, they'll come to us to pick up food, but we don't pay them. We don't, we don't, we're not the sponsor. We're not part of their program. Oh. So they don't, they don't, because I, I, I refuse to have them take 25% of my check average. You it know, does. if, if, if you don't call them. Cause that $15, they'll cut right into that. Yeah. If, if you don't call, if you don't pay them, like they'll tell you that. You got to get a, get on board and you'll be on their platform. But if you don't, if people want your food, they'll come. <laughs> they'll, call, they'll, they'll call Grubhub. Or, I mean, they'll, they'll call Postmates or DoorDash. Yeah. They'll say, hey, we want this. And they'll come pick up our food. We'll get all the, all the check average. We, we don't pay them anything for that. The guest is paying them for it. Mm, wait, so, <laughs> yeah, they, so, <laughs> so, DoorDash, they, they want you to be, to become, yeah, to be a partner with them. Right, right. That means you get a, a page on their platform, right? Yeah. We don't, we didn't do that. We told them no, because people are already coming with DoorDash. DoorDash, the way it works is if you're a customer for DoorDash, you can call them and tell them you want food. You could tell them you want a big bite hot dog from 7 Eleven. Right, right. They'll go pick it up and take it to the guest. The guest pays for it. Okay. They're not charging 7-Eleven because 7-Eleven's not a partner of theirs. 
Right. So how so, does that work then? Like who? Like so, the person comes with a DoorDash bag, mm-hmm. and then they have like a prepaid card or something that they use to. Yeah, yeah, they use it. They use a card. They'll show us their order on the phone, and then they'll swipe their card and they go. And then, oh. yeah. Um, so we don't use Grubhub for the same reason because I can't. I can't give them twenty five percent or okay. even thirty. Hey, sometimes man, this 30%. is news to use, man. This is news <laughs> yeah. To use. I mean, California just uh, re- uh, put down that p- potential bill mm-hmm. for allowing information. A little known fact is mm-hmm. when we get an order because we are on Uber and Grubhub and things like that. Uh, when we get an order from Uber Eats, for example, and let's say we run out of plantain. It's not possible for us as the restaurant to communicate with the customer mm-hmm. that we ran out of plantain because Uber Eats doesn't give us the ability to contact the customer. Mm-hmm. And then the customer rates us poorly because mm-hmm. we gave them chickpeas instead, instead of plantain. Mm-hmm. So I, but I, I'm going to adapt that principle. I think that we should start sticking up to these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if people want it, they'll, they'll tell them they want it. And it's their job to provide that service, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can't let them bully you. Yeah. Exactly. They try. That's what they want to do. Yep. Yep. Wow. Thinking about it. Mm-hmm. All right. So, <laughs> brother, it's been a pleasure having you on with us here. Thank you, Gavin. You know, um, I love eating at your restaurant. Uh, I can't wait to see the, um, autobiography <laughs> and the uh cookbook uh when it comes out you know um along with the the cooking video series uh <laughs> fun times at mike ransom <laughs> <laughs> and we have to go get that dinner that we talked about too. yeah i yeah. know let's yeah. let's definitely do that um chris connections so thanks Alan, chris. good we'll meeting see, man i'll see you. you on the next one